Hello, my name is Persia, and this is Eleven Again. Eleven Again is a show about the things that we were obsessed with as kids. So what that means is every episode, I grab a friend or a family member or somebody I know, and I ask them to tell me about something that they were super obsessed with when they were a kid. Once they tell me what it is, it could be like a book, a movie, a TV show, really anything. We have a conversation about it, then we both go and re-experience it, and then we come back and we talk about it again. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's been listening, to everyone who's helped me make this show, been a guest on the show. I really like doing it. It's a great quarantine activity. And if you guys are having a good time listening to it and you think you know somebody else who would like it too, please suggest it to them. And also I noticed that I don't have any reviews on Apple Podcasts, like I have ratings, but not reviews, like no one's physically written out anything. And I think it would be funny (laughs) if someone did. So if that person is you, please go for it. Today I have on Elle. She is reigning champion, I think for most featured friend. And as you guys know, she and I had a very similar, like fantasy heavy upbringing in terms of reading diet. And one of the things that was super important to her as a kid were Cinderella stories. One of her favorite Cinderella adaptations was Ella Enchanted, which is a book written by Gail Carson Levine. And later there was a movie adaptation. So what we're doing is reading the book, watching the movie, talking about both. Here she goes again on the podcast. Okay. Third time's the charm. Is it third time? Yeah, I think so. And I think this is like your, this is the one. This is like the apex of your life. Nothing's going to ever get better than this. (laughs) I don't know how much you want to talk about, because when we talked about this originally a long time ago, I actually don't remember it that clearly, but I feel like you were saying that you're interested in the Cinderella myth. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of gravitated towards it. I didn't realize until I got older, but a lot of my like favorite movies were Cinderella adaptations. One of my favorite movies is called Ever After. It's a movie starring Drew Barrymore as Renaissance France Cinderella. It's totally worth watching. It's the 1998 aesthetic film of your dreams. Angelica Houston Huston, however you pronounce her last name, is in it. Mm, Yeah. They have Leonardo da Vinci is in it, and he fills in for, like, the fairy godmother, quote-unquote. <laughs> it's spectacular. And um, I read a lot of, like, I think it's Haddocks is the name of the author. She wrote a series called Just Ella, which is, like, a sequel to Cinderella about the prince actually being kind of a shitty little drip and her, like, going off with, like, a doctor just like a bunch of weird stuff that as I got older, I realized like, oh, this is like a story I've been like called to a lot, I guess. And Ella Enchanted is like the adaptation, in my opinion. Why is it the adaptation? Like, what does that mean? Your favorite or it's the best? My favorite. And I think it actually, like, as far as like, I guess, YA adaptations of Cinderella, it has the most that I think is like positive in it for like, a female character in a story about marrying a rich guy and your life getting better. Like, as far as that basic plot can go, I think Ella Enchanted does it the best. And are you talking about the movie or the book? Oh, the book. I um, have a lot of feelings on the movie. Okay. I definitely read it. I don't remember the book really at all. But I actually really liked the movie, I think, when I was a kid. I watched it a couple of times. I think probably because of that British actor. What is his name? Hugh Dancy. Dancy. He he's a good part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely like some question. It's just like I think tonally a pretty strange movie. I think the movie I compare it to the most. I think I might have said this to you when we talked about it. It's this weird thing I I think of as the Shrek effect, which is like. Disney movies had always had, like, pop culture references in them, but it it's not, like, as overt, whereas, like, Shrek is a 2001 pop culture reference. It's about Disney. Yeah. Eddie Murphy is in it. There's so much, like, popular 20th century music in it. And then after that, like, I think a lot of studios made these, like, irreverent pop culture reference-laden children's movies, and I feel like Ella Enchanted got adapted into a movie 
at the height of that. Like, it's 2004, so it's the same year as Shrek 2. And I just... Even when I was, like, 12 and knew that the movie was coming out, and I was so excited because it was Anne Hathaway from The Princess Diaries was going to star in it, I was kind of like, oh, this isn't really the movie I wanted it to be. <laughs> and I actually haven't seen it since I was a teenager, so... Oh, really? Yeah, rereading the book and rewatching it is going to be... Maybe I'll like it more. Maybe I won't. I do remember the musical number, though. Yes. Oh, so do I. And it's incredible. So yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that in the second half because <laughs> that should be fresh in our minds when we express how much we love it. Yeah. Or hate it, in your case. I don't know if you love it. Did you read the book before you watched the movie? Yeah, I was actually excited for the movie because um, Asa, my cousin, who I've mentioned in the last two episodes, uh, gave me the audiobook on cassette tape when I was like eight. I still have them, actually. And I, I, I kept them, and then I have I have the book, obviously, and I have, like, my original copy that m- I maybe stole from Asa. Sorry, Asa, if you listen. I also stole your yellow card CD in 2004, so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my friend actually was really sweet and went to a Gail Carson Levine signing and got me a signed copy of the book from a couple years ago, so I'd say I'm a fan of this book. <laughs> Do you feel like... It started for you with the Disney movie? Like, do you remember the first Cinderella story you took in? No. um, I know I watched Cinderella as a kid, but older Disney movies have always made me feel uncomfortable. So they were never, like, my favorites. Like, anything before, like, Oliver and Company skews me out a little for some reason. Really? I mean, I can appreciate how beautiful they are. Like, I, like... Even as a kid? Yeah, Snow White ruined all of the older ones for me because they're all that same style Mm. and they're all very dark. And I think I just didn't like that. Like I grew up with the Lion King was like the big one when I was little. Like how can you go back to Cinderella from the Lion King, I guess? That's a good point. There's definitely like a, there's a levity to the movies, to the Disney movies that were, that were popular when we were kids versus the older ones. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm, like, thinking now, like, what's the funny side character in Cinderella? Like, the fairy? The the mice, I guess? The mice? Yeah, I guess the mice are kind of fun. Snow White, like, I guess the dwarves. But it's still different. You're right. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Did you, did you like the older Disney movies when you were a kid? Um, no, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I watched them, but I didn't, I don't think I thought much of them at all. Like, oh, that was the movie. The, the big animated movie for me, which I've talked about a lot, was uh, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. That's my favorite of the, like, new Disney movies. Like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was in love with it as a kid. Um, I don't think I really attached... I mean, maybe something when I was younger, but I don't think I really was attached to any other animated movie like I was attached to that one. And that one is, like, I, kind of in a world of its own. Like, it's not a princess movie, really. It's like um cast whole cast of characters it's you know (laughs) it's it straddles this line between like the end of the disney renaissance which everyone says ends with tarzan but i actually think atlantis is up there with the classics in the way that i don't think anybody gives it credit for it's just so like beautiful to look at and the story is so good and it actually has like such a good cast of characters i yeah i mean i think it has a lot of merit but I guess, yeah, that, I mean, 2001, that's, like, I was seven. That's, like, peak Disney movie age. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think, I guess that one was the one for me. What was the first Disney movie that you were really into? Oh, it was The Lion King. And I was... It was was The Lion King. Yeah, that movie came out when I was two, and apparently as soon as it came out on VHS, I watched it every single day, and I sang all the songs, and I had a Lion King bedroom. (laughs) I was never, like, a Disney princess kid. So what was the first Cinderella thing that got to you? I think it might have been Ella Enchanted. Like, I watched the Cinderella movie as a kid, and then this movie, Ella, or this book, Ella Enchanted, and then the movie Ever After, and then after that I just read, like, a lot of YA adaptations of it, most of which I don't remember. I just know I had, like, six or seven that were all, like, different takes on it. I feel like Cinderella is... I mean, it's... There's... I think that's where rags to riches comes from. Like, it's yeah. it's such an easy story trope. It's like, same thing with Lion King, you know, being based off of Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet. Like, in some ways, Cinderella, I think, is at that level of, like, ubiquitousness and ease of a- adaptation. 
If you ever want to go down a really fun Wikipedia hole, I'm totally blanking on the name of the system, but there is a system for organizing fairy tales and folklore according to archetypes. Cinderella is an archetype. And if you're looking at like Wikipedia pages for like Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, they all fall, they'll all have like a little thing where it's like, this is Anderson type C or something like that. Like it's this really cool thing where you can actually break down folklore like across cultures into like really basic stories. Rags to riches, lost parents, lost king, beautiful person falling in love with an ugly person, Um, (laughs) monster locks up a woman in a tower, like... And they all have this like core thing. It's really cool. And it's actually really interesting how it like it's applicable across cultures in cultures that had nothing to do with each other when they were developing this folklore. Yeah, but they all sort of operate on these archetypes, a lot of their stories. And I guess Cinderella is easy to understand. Everybody who grows up with nothing really hopes that one day they'll have something. So, you know, tell your daughter that if she's beautiful enough, it doesn't matter that you guys are poor. A rich man will marry her. After 15 minutes. Oh, how did I forget? The Brandy Cinderella on the Wonderful World of Disney, which I literally just rewatched like two weeks ago. That also got me into Cinderella. I actually didn't watch it as a kid. I watched it later as an adult. And I was like, this rules. It's so good. And so gloriously 90s. Oh, yes. To its credit. Yeah. You could probably make a whole podcast just about Cinderella adaptations. Easy. Don't give me podcast ideas on this podcast. <laughs> Don't pitch this go, to me. Go, go, be free. All right, but you would have to promise to bring your favorite Cinderella adaptation. Okay, I'll see if I can find it. But now I'm like, what YA novel I read wasn't a Cinderella adaptation? I guess at their core. <laughs> That's like the brain blast I'm having right now. I just had like three more books enter my head and I was like, is that a Cinderella adaptation or is that just like... She starts poor somehow. She gets somewhere else. She meets a prince. Like, I, maybe they don't get together, but, like, she still, like, becomes someone of, like, worth or fortune, you know, plucked out of her circumstances. Like, it's, it's every young woman. It's the Hunger Games that you're thinking of right now, right? <laughs> My favorite Cinderella adaptation. No, it's not. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, when I get down to, like, that very basic, like, young woman plucked out of her circumstances to, like, go to be in some ways have greater fortune whether by marriage or status or like is that like where do you draw the lines on cinderella adaptations i'm sure if i pulled up the page there's like certain ingredients you need for a cinderella archetype i'm gonna look it up real quick i used to really like like fairy i had this like book of fairy tales as a kid and i read all of them it was like the original hans christian anderson translation and i got really into it and then for years didn't do anything about it um, the story of Cinderella is traced back to the story of Rhodopis, Rhodopis, uh, recounted by the Greek geographer Strabo sometime between 7 BC and AD 23 about a Greek slave girl who marries the king of Egypt and is usually considered the earliest known variant of the Cinderella story. Oh my god, wait. Speaking of, Purim just passed, but Purim in, in some ways is also a very similar story in which this, like, random... Persian Jewish girl marries the king of Persia. She has to stop. I don't know if you know the story of Purim, but she has to stop them from essentially like killing all the Jews in Iran or in ancient Persia. And that's like what the story of Purim is about is like this young heroine who is like plucked and like marries the king of Persia and then saves the Jews. <laughs> that fucking rules. I, is there, can we read that like original, was it Greek story? Like, is there... I kind of want to find what you're talking about, to be honest. That sounds like it's probably short, long. Like, like we could find a good... I mean, you can definitely find... Uh, there's a hundred, like, Purim adaptations. I read a historical fiction one that was pretty good. I was going to say, that sounds like it would make really good historical fiction. Yeah, there's definitely some... And it's very, like... it's. I love historical fiction. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm a slut for historical fiction. Um, I'm a whore for historical fiction. <laughs> so, <laughs> I. it's funny. I also like that... Obviously, as adults, like, there's nothing better than sort of deconstructing the things you loved as a child. That's why I have a podcast about it. But it's interesting to me that you're obviously like, yes, I'm really attracted to this story and this archetype. But obviously, there are so many, like, pitfalls involved. Did you feel like you were always sort of disillusioned by it? And like you said, that's why Ella Enchanted is a little bit of a different take on it. So I always... 
I grew up like liking romance and novels and I I always felt like it had to be earned though. Like I think the reason the older Disney movies didn't mean as much to me is cuz like the I don't know, you'd see the prince once. It's the same fucking prince in Cinderella and <laughs> Snow White. We never talk about that. Um he has two wives. One who is so much younger than him cuz there's like 30 years between those movies or 23 or something. But the the like unearned romance being the end game always bothered me, I think. Like I think there was a little part of me that was like, oh, this is lame. And um Ella Enchanted, while the romance is there, like you know she's gonna end up with the prince. This this like sort of device of her curse, which is that she has to do whatever anybody orders her to do. That's like the, the plot of the book. If you say Ella, jump off a bridge, she has to go do it. She's compelled to by magic. In the end of the book, it's not just about her marrying the prince, like that's sort of like a, a bonus. It's about her like learning agency and finding like a deep inner well of like strength. And that appealed to me, I think way more than like, oh, well, she was kind and good and super hot. So now <laughs> she's rich. Yeah, you're right. Like a lot of these, a lot of these early Disney movies, they have barely ever even met the prince that they wind up, I guess, marrying. There's actually little to maybe zero interaction before, like, the first kiss. It's all love at first sight kind of stuff, which is, yeah, I think it's, I think that love at first sight is something that maybe as a culture we've sort of let go of, at least to, at least in that form. I think that we've just structurally moved past marriage being an essential part of life, particularly for women in the way that it used to be. Like, in the 1950s, you kind of had to get married. Like, yeah. so that you could have money and a place to live. You know, there you don't... It's, it's not everyone. Obviously, there are people who didn't. Um, but for, like, mainstream society, it was considered normal. So when you're a little kid and you're watching these movies, it's like, well, of course I'm going to fall madly in love with the first man that I meet because I have to be married by the time I'm 21. Otherwise, I'm virtually unmarriageable. Yeah. Whereas I think that by the time you get to, like, when we were kids, I I don't feel like if I don't get married, that's it. Like, I don't yeah. feel like I have to fall in love with somebody immediately. Right. Well, I'm able to, like, open a line of credit now yeah in this modern day of age i could have put a my job. name on a mortgage and yeah. die in debt like every man is allowed to. <laughs> equal opportunity love it hearing you sort of say that the parameters and the curse that ella has to deal with and ella enchanted for some reason it never occurred to me but it it almost seems heavy-handed i wonder how much gail carson levine was trying to make it obvious to a young reader that this is a metaphor for how women live their lives which is you know under uh, i don't know what the word is but under the thumb of the man in their life yeah so essentially or under the thumb of anybody who who has control over them i wonder if it's yeah i i guess i don't maybe i should look up some interviews with gail carson levine but i wonder how how purposeful the curse is in terms of like a straight metaphor for powerlessness as a young woman and and maybe maybe reaction to the powerlessness of Cinderella's of the past i would guess i would i would caution a guess and say yes because gail carson levine is like a multiple newbery medal award winner including for this book she's she's written a lot and she's like a consummate ya fantasy classic novelist and she's very deliberate and very smart, in in my opinion, at least. Like, I've actually never read an interview with her, but I've read actually quite a few of her books. She has a lot more um, modern fiction she does as well. But I've read most of her fantasy at some point or another in my life, including um, I literally read the prequel book to, well, I listened to the audio tape of the prequel book to Ella Enchanted over the summer. And I was once again impressed by how... She makes things really simple and easy to understand for kids, but also, like, pretty good concepts. I just realized one of the books I was thinking of that I thought might be a Cinderella take it was written by Gail Carson Levine called Fairest. Which is... Yeah, it's say, set in the same world as Ella Enchanted, but it is actually supposed to be Snow White. That's really funny. I just... I read that book uh, when I was a kid and a few years ago. This is... It's a sort of wild universe. She really creates, a like, a... It's funny that you you 
made this allusion to Shrek. The more the more I think about how similar Ella Enchanted is to Shrek, the more I'm convinced of it. Because they create this sort of kind of a parody, not cert- not exactly a parody in Gail Carson Levine's books, but a take, you know, it, it, it takes all the classical fairy tale elements like gnomes and magic and princesses and princes and paupers and whatever it is. And is like, okay, now it's my universe and I'm playing around in here. And I, I think what I love the most about Shrek and Gail Carson Levine is they both take those things and then bother to give them personalities. Like all of the dumb fairy tale creatures in Shrek have weird personalities. Strong personalities. Some stuff that doesn't age super well, but you know, I know who and what Pinocchio is in Shrek. (laughs) And in Gail Carson Levine's novels, she takes those fairy tale creatures and gives them a culture. Like the gnomes in Ella Enchanted have like a culture. The giants have a culture. And in the most recent one I read, the ogres even have, like, a culture and a language and all of these things that... Yeah, an inner life. Exactly. And I think that's actually kind of cool. That's a good parallel. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, just especially because there's a couple of Shrek movies. I don't know how many books Gail Carson Levine wrote in that universe, but it definitely seems like she landed there and she was like, this is fun to play around in. <laughs> I'm going to freaking go for it. And she did a good job. I mean, she's been writing in it. Ogre Enchanted was the one that I read over the summer. And that um, that's fairly recent. And I think she wrote Ella Enchanted in the mid-90s. So wow. she's been there for a while. That's awesome. So you read Ella Enchanted as a kid? I did read Ella Enchanted as a kid. I think I, I actually the copy I brought back from my house is like my original copy that I had as a kid. I just don't remember the book that well. I think... In general, my memory of the movie overtakes my memory of the book. And you liked the movie? Yes. I, yeah, I'll go on record saying I liked the movie. Yeah, fuck it. I liked okay. the movie. It's okay, it's probably fun. I don't know if I was, like, attached to Anne Hathaway. I don't think that was the thing for me. I do like a musical number. Yeah, and, and it has a good one. I don't know. I don't know why I was attracted to Ellen Chanted the movie. I guess we'll see. Do you feel like your relationship with, I guess, both Ella Enchanted and the archetypal story in general has changed since you were a kid? Or even when you were a kid, you sort of felt the same way about it than you do now? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, do you think... I Do you think... Because you were talking about, as a kid, really liking Ella Enchanted because it was different than other Cinderella stories but do you feel like you were still swept up by it in a way like you still romanticized it and you still felt very warm towards the book like do you think you have more of a critical eye now or did you still have sort of that maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't vocalized but you still had that critical eye when you were a child and that's why you went to Ella Enchanted in the first place I think I probably did. I remember, I mean, I I really have romanticized this book. I still think of it very fondly and warmly. And as a child, I like loved it. And there's a really great audio version of it that I can like remember so clearly. The like voice actress did a great job. And I think I'll probably be more critical of it now because I'm going into it trying to be a little bit, like really trying to pick it apart. But... I think for the Cinderella myth in general, I was always a little skeptical of it, even though I kept coming back to it. I think I liked its recreations and its um, transformations and mutations a little bit more than I liked the usual. But I think I always wanted to feel like I could relate to the main character in it, the Cinderella character, whatever her name be in that version. So I think Ella Enchanted appealed to me in that way. And I think I think I'll probably still really like it. But the, the Cinderella myth means less and less to me as, like, anything as years go on, you know? Yeah. And I think that's normal. Yeah. And could you describe really quick, I guess, what the plot of Ella Enchanted is specifically? I know we talked about the curse, but in broader terms, what's going on in Ella Enchanted? Um, so the character, whose name is Ella, and I should just put a disclaimer on one of the reasons I was predisposed to like this book is the main character's name is actually Eleanor, which is my name. You don't run into a lot of Eleanors, so I was very excited about it as a child. Um, Her mother dies. She has a fairy godmother who's, like, normal magic, Mandy. Mandy doesn't do big magic. She does normal magic. But there are fairies who do big magic, 
One of them is named Lucinda, and when Ella was born, she got a curse on her that she always has to take a direct order and do it, literally. So she grows up really sheltered with her mom and her fairy godmother kind of protecting her, but eventually her mother dies, just like in Cinderella. Her father, who's sort of out of the picture, sends her off to boarding school. She meets these two girls who end up becoming her horrible stepsisters. She meets a horrible stepmother. They don't fully understand what's going on, but they realize they can make Ella do whatever they want, which leads to the part where she cleans the house while they live rich. There's a prince who she meets at the beginning at her mother's funeral. They sort of like flirt. They stay in touch in various ways throughout the novel. And then by the end, she, you know, just like in the end of Cinderella, she will end up marrying the guy, but she's got, um, she's got to overcome this curse first because you can't be a queen if you have a horrible curse on you. That means you have to do whatever anybody tells you. Yeah. I do want to say to this movie's credit, great cast. Amazing oh, cast. Yeah. So we have Anne Hathaway as Elle, Ella. Uh, Hugh Dancy as Prince Charmant, as the prince. Incredible. Um, Carrie El- El- I actually don't know how to pronounce it. Elways. Elways. Carrie Elways is in there, the guy from Princess Bride. Uh, Minnie Driver is Mandy, who, yeah, is. yes, Minnie Driver, amazing. Lucy Punch, who I don't think I know her by name, but she plays Hattie, one of the evil stepsisters. Yeah. And she, I think, if this is the right actress, she plays the evil stepsister in, like, multiple adaptations of Cinderella. Whoa. Or she plays at least like a version of that character. She Oh, she's she's in Into the Woods. Oh, perfect. Yeah, she was in another movie called Cinderella in 2000. I love to be a, a, such a specific character actor. Vivica A. Fox as the <laughs> fairy. Lucinda. Lucinda. Uh, Parminder Nagra from Bend It Like Beckham is Anne Hathaway's best friend. Oh my God. Chesminda from Bend It Like Beckham? Yeah. Holy... I never put that together, which is bizarre, because I also love that movie so much. (laughs) And Eric Idle from Monty Python is the narrator. So, with all that said... I'm so excited right now. Now that I know (laughs) Jess from Bend It Like Beckham is in this movie. (laughs) I'm excited to go back and revisit it. Meet Ella. Thanks to a magical gift gone wrong. She's forced to be the most obedient girl in the kingdom. Just admit you're stupid and don't know what you're talking about. I'm stupid and I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I really need to find my godmother and get her to take back the curse. Now, on the road to finding her freedom, Ella's discovering the prince with a fan club. But she never planned on falling in love. I think you're going to be a great king someday. And... She never imagined they'd have to save the kingdom. Drop that crown! The Princess Diaries, Anne Hathaway. Somebody Ella Enchanted. Did you watch the movie last night? I did. Yeah, I did the same thing. I read the book and then watched the movie. The book took me like a hot two days. It it, it was even shorter than I thought it was going to be. It's so fast. And that it's it's like really nice in that sense. Like I feel like it looks like it's got like big margins. It's got big text. A lot of it is um, letters. And the edition that I have, which I knew was old. I didn't realize it was like the first paperback edition they ever made of it. It's like 1998. The cutest thing is that in the copyright page in the front, it says visit us on the World Wide Web or for Collins Kids. And it's like capitalized World Wide Web. It's so funny to me. That is so cute. Mine mine says first scholastic printing, September 1998. But it also has... It it also has the Newbery Honor Award insignia on it. We have the same one. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I feel like top line, what I would like to start with is that uh, I understand why I liked the movie as a kid, but reading the book and then watching the movie, the movie just like fails in so many ways. So 
I had read the book and was so excited when the movie got, like, announced. I was, like, 11 when I heard about it, and it was Anne Hathaway who'd just done Princess Diaries, another um, not-quite-perfect-but-fantastic young adult novel adaptation. And I remember seeing the movie when it came out and being like, I don't know why they called this movie Ella Enchanted. It's not only is it barely anything like the book, it's almost not a Cinderella story anymore either. They take out everything that makes it a Cinderella story. And also, like, most of the stuff that's from the book is in, like, the first 30 minutes of the film, and then everything else is a fabrication. Yeah. For people who don't don't know anything about sort of either of these things, <laughs> um, Ella Enchanted follows generally a Cinderella story, a classic Cinderella yeah. story structure. You know, she has a mom... Her mom dies while she's pretty young. Her dad gets remarried. Her dad goes away on business. And, you know, her stepsisters and her stepmother essentially make her a servant in the house. And so Mm -hmm. she's literally, you know, dressed in rags and covered in cinders and et cetera, et cetera, print stuff. Um, Ella Enchanted the movie (laughs) essentially invents, like, a royal... It's like Hamlet. It's like they put Hamlet into Cinderella. Carrie always is there as an evil uncle. Which I love his character. He's having fun. He's, he's having... the only person in that movie who looks like he's having fun. He looks fun, like he's having so. fun. He has a huge CGI snake. It's it's giving me very much the king from Robin Hood, from the animated Robin Hood. Double yep. the taxes. Triple the taxes. Squeeze every last drop out of those insolent musical peasants. What is he? Like a wolf or a... What is he in that movie? The king from, like, the animated Robin Hood? He's a lion. He's a lion. Uh, king John. No, but the... Oh, I guess they're both lions. I was like, the the king who's away is a lion, but is the king who's, like, on the throne also yeah. a lion? Just the like king who's away lion? is... It's vaguely based on, uh... I think Richard III is King Richard Lionheart, and his son, his, his younger brother, John. Yeah. <laughs> Another weird thing I know a lot about, the English line of succession... In Ellen Enchanted the movie, there's this whole plot about the the person on the throne is the brother of the person who used to be on the throne. Um, and the whole idea is that he's essentially killed his brother and is going to kill his brother's son, his nephew, who's next in line, because he wants to maintain power and like also enslave magical creatures like elves and giants and ogres or whatever. There's There's a weird segregation (laughs) plot shoehorned into this and i think anytime you have like a one-to-one mirror of real life racism but the victims of racism in this world are fantasy creatures you're you're starting 10 feet in a hole already it's not a great look and it seems like it's a shtick in the movie i Listen, the movie, I'm trying to remember why I liked the movie so much as a kid. First of all, I've always been a sucker for, like, musical elements. And there's kind of two, there's, like, three, I would say, musical scenes. Yeah. In the The, movie. Because the joke is that the elves have kind of been forced into only certain professions. And one of those professions is uh, dancing. It's like dancing, singing, or, uh, to quote the movie, tomfoolery, which... How do I get that career? Um, I think I already have it. <laughs> you're a professional tomfoolery <laughs> There's, like, this scene where they show up at this, like, elf commune, <laughs> and they sing Let Us Entertain You. It kind of looked like the scene... All of them were dressed like the Green Fairy from Moulin Rouge. Yes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> at any moment, like, John Leguizamo was going to show up walking with his knees in his shoes. It, it's literally like a shtetl. It's like a segregated Jewish town in Russia. And then there's there's this character, Slanin, who is an elf who is named in the yes. book. Slanin is the name of an elf in the book, but here he is a wise-cracking elf who wants to be a lawyer. It's, like, funny because it's all these, like, elements from the books that are a book that are just, like, Almost like a bad funhouse mirror version. Like, there are giants. The giants are also somehow, like, agricultural slaves. And 
even though they could just crush all of these people, like, I'm not sure how the giants ended up in this situation, but we go to a wedding and it turns out the giants love to party and dress exactly like it's 2004. Everyone in this movie is dressed like it's 2004. I think I could write, because there's definitely a tendency in all period movies to take the things from the period. Yeah. This isn't a period movie. Sorry, I don't even know why I said that. But you know what I mean? It's a fantasy movie, so they take, like, medieval clothing themes. Yeah. I guess is how I would say it. And I love when they mix, like, a period clothing theme with whatever theme of, like, the era that they're in. Yeah. So all the people are wearing, like, medieval meets 2004. But it's it's definitely skewing 2004 for the Giants. It's very much 2004. I, I That was probably one of the best parts of the movie. As an adult to watch, to see just, like, that strong, like... Low slung waist, drop waist, <laughs> bikini tops. Yeah, the like crop like, tops with the low, like ripped up skirts. Yeah, uh, Heidi Klum is there. Heidi Klum is there. And I, that was the moment <laughs> in the movie where I was like, I don't understand. Who is this film for? Is the question I kept asking. What, Heidi Klum is there. What 10 year old was like, oh, cool, Heidi Klum? <laughs> I love that Heidi I Klum. I did a is double here. take. I was like, is that Heidi Klum? Yeah. <laughs> Could it be? Must it be? And then there's like, there's the whole scene with, I'm sorry. I watched with like my pod and the ogre scene. We could not stop laughing. Why did they give all of the ogres juicy badonks? Like what was that? Yeah. Like every single one of them was just, <laughs> they never missed a chance to have these like ass cracks out on these ogres. <laughs> Every single scene they're in, you saw ogre ass. Oh my god. Absolute dump trucks on every single one of them. <laughs> and we just, like, couldn't stop screaming about it. There's a scene where one of them, like, one of the ogres, like, beats up a palace guard in, like, the final battle, and he, like, jumps and lands on the guy's head with his butt. And I was like, there's people who would pay for that. Like. It's so funny. You're right. It, it was weird. There's a lot of weird elements. Do you remember liking it okay as a kid or you were like totally put off of it as a kid i was in like the height of my phase of like this is nothing like the book yeah i just like couldn't do it and even now like i watched it never we were all like laughing and having fun with it but i really yeah. don't like this movie I mean, a lot of it felt stupid. I felt like they were playing the whole, like, there's this bit where Ella and her friend... Why hire Perminda Nagra to do nothing? I have a lot of... I want to get into that because when we start talking about the book, because truly an injustice. Yeah. Um, but there's this whole bit where in the movie where she's, like, going to community college, which is weird. A weird beat to take on in this film. There's malls. There's, like, a weird medieval escalator involved. She steals excuse glass me, slippers and next Sorry, to them are wait. glass. I love the medieval escalator. That was really I doing it for it, me. I loved it, but why? <laughs> but there's this whole, like, thing where her and Arita, her friend, played by Permanagra, famously Jess from Bend It Like Beckham, who's wonderful... And, like, is great in, like, the little bit she's in. But they're supposed to be, like, activists who want, like, equal rights for the elves and ogres and giants who've been forced, essentially, into servitude. Or in the case of the, like, ogres just completely displaced. And to me, like, it felt like it was, like, a joke. Like, haha, women at community college always have, like, pet projects. And that, that I think, was the weirdest treatment of the whole segregation plot. You know what it felt like to me? It felt a lot like Hermione's Free the Elves. Exactly. It felt so much like, for whatever reason, you don't actually think they're right or that... I don't, you just don't take it seriously. The way it's written or the way it's performed, you just don't take it seriously. You take it as something like, why do they even care so much about this? <laughs> it's, it feels like sort of like the proto of like making fun of everyone, like the Tumblr social justice warrior thing. It's like a proto version of that, where it's like, oh... These young people and their social justice causes, aren't they hilarious? And it, like, makes fun of them, which I didn't really like. No. And, you know, in Harry Potter, they're like, the elves are happy. So, which yeah. is, like, a whole another issue. The elves in, the, in this situation and Ella Enchanted are not happy. No. So, the thing I wanted to talk about is I read the book. I liked it a lot. I... I did leave the book and think that some of the biggest issues I had with the book were that when Ella is a servant, 
her, her, her whole mental state at that time is, I don't like being a servant. I don't deserve to be a servant. This is not who I am. I'm not happy as a servant. I'm better than this. I'm going to marry a prince. Yep. And then she does marry the prince, who's sort of her childhood sweetheart. Um, they're a little bit aged up in the movie. They're a little bit aged down in the book. Yeah. And then the book ends with her just being like, and they had kids and lived happily ever after. And they don't really have her learn a lesson about, like, humility. And they have all these servants, like Mandy, who's, like, basically her best friend. And yet it does nothing to humanize the rest of the servants to her. Like, she becomes friendly with the other servants. But really what we hear about is her writing to Char about, like, funny things. And then we have, like, anytime it's, like, not that during her, like, period of servitude, she's basically, like... I'm above these people and I'm above this and I can't believe I have to do this and I'm so dirty and gross I don't even look like myself and it feels like there should have been something in there about like learning that servants are humans yeah something it just felt very flat in that sense this was before I had rewatched the movie and similarly I was thinking like they don't say much about the ogres the ogres in the book are essentially villains point blank you don't sort of learn about their inner life or or how their society functions or anything. They're just like man-eating creatures. So it was strange because I felt like I finished the book and I was like, really enjoyed that. You know, those two elements I felt were maybe a little bit missing. Mm-hmm. And then I went, you go to the movie and in some ways the movie addresses the issues I had with the book. But I was like, oh no, not like that. Yeah. Um... <laughs> On the ogre point, because I know that we had talked about this before, but um, I read the the prequel, Ogre Enchanted, yeah. um, which is about, it's set during the era in which um, Ella's mother, Lady Eleanor, was like young and her father's reputer is part of it. And it's about a young woman who her best friend admits that he's in love with her and she says no and Lucinda shows up and turns her into an ogre and actually you get everything you're thinking about because we go into ogre culture and why ogres act that way and it's actually like it was hard to read there's a little bit of like body horror going on but it was yeah um it was really good and if if you want that you'll you'll learn a lot about ogres at least within the context of this world that's available yeah um so, yeah, so it felt like a bad trade-off from book to movie, especially, I think they neuter Ella's character in the movie. They take away everything that makes her interesting from the book. From the book, she's, you know, contrary because of the obedience curse, but she has things other than that. Like, she has a real knack for languages. She's very funny. I think she's actually, like, really kind, minus the weird servants aren't people bit, but... <laughs> I, I think that it makes her, um, it takes away all of the, like, cool stuff about her. Like, I remember when I was a kid really liking the part where she learns to mimic the ogres. The ogres in this world are supposed to have this, like, speech where they can convince you that you actually want to be eaten by them. And she learns to mimic their speech so well that she's able to control them the way they control her. That's so cool. It was an awesome moment. And they sort of try to give to Anne Hathaway a little bit of that, like, fighting contrariness i think it it doesn't work at all in fact i think she's pretty unlikable in the movie there's just very little there she's very much like yeah and she's very much like you said in terms of like learning a lesson i don't know if she does in the movie either really she's just sort of like a know-it-all in a and i always feel bad it's like the same thing again i'm sort of back to hermione which is like why she feels very hermione and there's even a line where Char in the movie tells her, uh, you're not like other girls. And it feels very much that. Oh my God. This is actually, this is, this is the thing that bothers me the most about the movie. This is a movie made for young women that fucking hates young women. (laughs) Like it makes fun of the early 2000s culture about boy bands and being like in love with boys. It makes fun of the fact that they're supposed to like fashion. It makes fun of young women who are informed and get upset about injustices in the world. Like it just seems like it's constantly like, huh, Aren't teenage girls a joke? This was actually something that I was surprised about in the book, because I've read the book a few times since I was a kid. I remember the ending where she breaks the curse being a lot more about her wanting to protect 
Kyria, which is the country that she lives in. Like, she falls in love with Char. Char. He shows up, puts the glass slipper on her foot. He's like, marry me. She's like, okay, because I'm under this curse. And then her sister Hattie's like, don't. And then her stepmother catches on is like, oh my god, if she becomes a princess, we'll be so rich. You have to marry him. And she's sitting there and she's rocking back and forth. She's like, if I marry Prince Charmant, he's either going to have to abdicate being king and we're going to have to live in the woods to keep ourselves safe because anybody could order me to do anything. Or I'm going to be forced to kill him, which is what the movie plays with. This idea that like anybody could be like, oh, you should po poison the king. And she'll be like, yeah, I have to because of the I curse. should. <laughs> so... I remembered it being a lot more about her being afraid of this idea that it wasn't just good, like because she loved Char, but because she was like, they could force me to start a war. They could force me to kill a bunch of people. Like, I'm queen. Nobody's going to question me. I can't be under someone's thumb like that. But in the book, it was like, that's how I remembered it. But it was a lot more about Char and not wanting to yeah, hurt him. and her love for him. Which is, like, fine, noble, cool and all, but I, I liked the idea that she was afraid of being a bad ruler, and I think that's how I remembered it. There is a specific line where she's talking about how, like, her own personal danger had never been enough to break the curse, but Kyria was enough, Char was enough. Yeah. And it's funny because I did sort of feel this while reading the book, and I watched the movie with my partner, and I was sort of struck by how upsetting the curse is it's really really upsetting to watch someone be forced to do things they don't want to do over and over again and not only that they or not only that ella has to do things she doesn't want to do but it makes her do things to hurt people that she loves which i think is the toughest part and it is sort of hard to read and it's it's hard to watch and it's funny because like we said the movie is so silly so 2004, you know, accidentally in love. <laughs> At any moment, Shrek was going to show up. And my partner, Brendan, just kept on being like, this movie is so sad. This is such a sad movie. And he was getting really upset watching it. And I was like, no, it's like a fun, goofy time. And he was like, her stepsister just told her that she can't be friends with her only friend in the world. And she has to go tell her that best friend that she can't be friends with her anymore because she's from a different place like because she's racist essentially which she's not racist but she has to tell her best friend that she hates her because of her race and she can't be friends with her anymore that is like literally one of the most upsetting things that could happen in a person's and, life and in the book they 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 head towards that but ella like runs away before she has to have that conversation with arita i'm not going to go to arita and tell her that i can't be her friend anymore that's devastating so i'm just gonna leave and i was really relieved when i read that i was like oh thank god i, I couldn't live through her you know, saying something mean to this poor girl who's bullied by her classmates because she's, you know, from a different mm -hmm. place. In the movie, not only does Anne Hathaway go to her friend and tell her to her face that they can't be friends anymore because she's like a filthy Iorthian and we can never see each other again by and is like crying. It's an extremely upsetting scene. They never wrap that up in the movie. She just shows up at the end. She never gets another line. She never gets another line. Anne Hathaway tells her to fuck off. She leaves for the entire movie. Then Anne Hathaway gets married and all of a sudden her friend is there like smiling and waving. Yeah, we were all really bad about that. Every, everyone who watches this movie, I think, comes out of it like Arita got shafted. That was Arita bullshit. got, it was horrible. I was like, did they cut a scene? I couldn't, I, I think that was like the last straw for me with the movie. I was like, they just gave up on the Arita plot. They just said, fuck it. This doesn't matter. This is an important thing. But, and yet we made so much time for the thing that I just remembered, which is that, I guess, in the movie, Mandy's a bad fairy and she turned her boyfriend into a magic book. Very strange to add that character. It's like, a, you already created Slannon as like a funny side character. Why did you also need the book to be its own character? And then, and then we brought, the giants with us, who were also funny side characters. And then we right. also eventually had and the, the ogres. ogres, who are also funny side characters. And then we have the CGI snake. He's a great side character. Yeah, he's the... He breaks the fourth wall so He's always staring. He's always he's like... always mm. staring right into camera. And it's really weird. And yet, it's like inconsistent, because he interacts with the people. There's a narrator. Yeah. Eric Idle, who's amazing. Incredible. I love him as the narrator. He's just riding around on a bike a lot, if yeah. I recall correctly. But Wearing then, different like, outfits. Oh, my cat's here. Sorry, you're going to hear yelling. Um, so there's like 
that. And then we have this snake who's also kind of telling us what's happening. And he's also breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. My last big issue with the book is that, or not, I guess it's not my issue with the book. It's my issue with the movie is that the book canonically says that Prince Charmant has dark skin or like medium toned, I would say olive. Yeah. They call him Tawny, which you can extrapolate to mean a couple of things. But yeah. she specifically says that freckles look strange on how dark his skin is. Mm-hmm. So you, I think from that, you can understand that he's fairly, you know, medium toned. Yeah. I When I read the book as a kid, I pictured him like dark skinned. Yeah. Like that. that is how he's described. And then in the movie, they picked Hugh Dancy. Yeah. Which is like... It's shocking, not even in the least. But there we are. <laughs> it's just a fact. <laughs> not every Cinderella adaptation can be the Brandy 1998 yeah. Cinderella adaptation. I think maybe that's where we've ended up. <laughs> this is this has all been very problematic, so maybe we should move on to better, <laughs> better versions and just go straight for Brandy. Yeah, straight for Brandy. So if you want to read a really good Cinderella adaptation, Ella Enchanted's got your back. If you want to watch one, Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> How did you feel overall about the sort of the Cinderella angle? I think the movie or the book does it really well. I was, like you said, uncomfortable with the whole like weird, I'm above servitude attitude she had. But yeah, God forbid. They did a pretty good job, I think, of making Ella a character like within that story. Like the story still works and Ella is still like a really good fun character. Um, and as far as like adaptations of the original story go, I think it, it follows the plot while adding like a lot to love. And a lot more to, like, relate to. Like, it feels less generic, obviously, because every version is going to. And then in terms of the movie, like, it's just barely Cinderella. Yeah. I have to look. Did you ever find that guide for, like, what the... Oh, I was looking it up, but I feel like I got just... I think I was, like, on my lunch break at work and, like, looking it up. <laughs> what, is, then... um, what is it called again? It's called the Arne Thompson Other Index. Is a catalog of folktale types used in folklore studies. Is there an entry for Cinderella? Yep. 501 or 510A is called Cinderella. A young woman is mistreated by her stepmother and stepsisters and has to live in the ashes as a servant. When the sisters and the stepmother go to a ball, they give Cinderella an impossible task. For example, sorting peas from ashes, which she accomplishes with the help of birds. She obtains beautiful clothing from a supernatural being or a tree that grows on the grave of her deceased mother. Nice. And goes unknown to the ball. A prince falls in love with her, but she has to leave the ball early. The same thing happens the next evening, but on the third evening, she loses one of her shoes. The prince will marry only the woman whom the shoe fits. The stepsisters cut pieces of their feet off in order to make them fit Oh my god, into I forgot shoe. about that. <gasps> but a bird calls attention to this deceit. Cinderella, who had first been hidden from the prince, tries on the shoe and it fits her. The prince marries her. I'm so <laughs> what is sorry doing? for this recording. She's... <laughs> it's, not, it's okay. I'm just wondering what she's doing. Um, she's doing this thing where about once a day she decides she's upset and she <laughs> tweaks. <laughs> and um, what happened just now is she probably pooped in her litter box and got offended by her own bathroom crime. <laughs> and now she needs me to know that she's upset, <laughs> which is what my cat does. So she came out of my closet, started yelling because she had to poop, pooped, and now she's deeply offended by her own bodily functions, <laughs> and she's running around to let me know. She's gone back in the closet. She's going to be upset in there. She'll probably be quiet for a while. About two hours, we'll do this again. <laughs> this is really highlighting how little I know about cats. I will say that my cat is uh, not a normal cat. She is a big jerk. I love her so much. Most cats don't <laughs> act like this. I don't know. I know another cat that my friend has, and she is also a pretty big jerk. Yeah. That's why I like her, but... <laughs> so are there... Does it say, like, which... Because that is, like, a pretty specific original telling of Cinderella. Does it say, like, which aspects of the story are integral? Yeah, it says that... So, like, they give them numbers. So, like, Cinderella is called 510A. And... 510 is sort of the archetype, and within that you get persecuted heroine. Like a 510 story is persecuted heroine, meaning this woman is going to undergo some sort of trial or tribulation. And then within that you get 510A, which is Cinderella, and then 510B, which is called Catskin, which is like a different one that I've 
I sort of knew about. So the idea is like the number refers to the archetype, meaning that the heroine is like being beat up essentially. And then the different letters are the different like variations. And then I guess you can kind of play with those. Interesting. How many letters are there under 510? I think it just it just says 510A and 510B. Hmm. But uh, the ATU index is a book that you have to buy. Oh, oh so the whole thing is not here on Wikipedia. This information is gatekept. To some extent, probably. Oh man, mm. f- fairy tale classifications not available on the internet. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Ugh, okay, that's fine, I guess. Yeah, I was just wondering if there's like a widely accepted like these are are the elements that a Cinderella story has to have. The most the most wide ones that I see is like servitude and ending with like her marrying a rich guy. I think right. she usually has to marry her way out of it. That might be a central. So that's the thing. It's like, what I'm here to do today is to disqualify Ella Enchanted the movie as a Cinderella story. <laughs> I'm kicking it out. Because she doesn't really do the servitude thing. She has stepsisters. She has stepsisters. I think both of her parents have to be dead. No, her dad's alive. No, but every other version. Oh, I guess her dad is alive in Ella too. Yeah, her dad's a real asshole in the book. Yeah. I thought that was always sort of the, because how, how do, how would she have a stepmother if her dad, well, I guess her dad could have married her stepmother and then and died. Because died. that's what the Disney version does. And that's what, um, the other, you were, you were talking about like, uh, how period dramas or like period films, even though Ellen Chanted is very loosely a period film, they always like have a stamp of the period in which they're made on them. And there's that, I think I talked about it in the first, like when we were first talking about this, the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore, yeah. which is a sort of non-magical Cinderella retelling. Um, it's set in Renaissance France, but it is also like the most gloriously late 90s yeah. stamp on all of that. But that one, uh, her, she meets her stepmother and her stepsisters and then her dad dies like a week later. Gotcha. Yeah. So she's, yeah, orphaned in the world. And forced to be a servant. Can we talk about the musical numbers for a minute? Yes, please. Okay, so we get Let Us Entertain You. Mm-hmm. And then we get Somebody to Love. Yeah. And then we get Don't Go Breaking My Heart. I, sorry, no, you you go ahead first. I don't Who chose these here. songs? <laughs> what was the theme? So I know where I, I read the IMDB page for the Ella Enchanted movie, and they have... Probably question, it's it's a dubious source, but they claim that they were originally going to have Ella sing this, like, fairy tale song, but the director didn't think that Anne Hathaway was connecting with it, and then later on he heard her singing Somebody to Love to himself, or to herself, and he was like, you're going to sing that one. Oh my god. I remember as a kid, I think liking all of them, but really liking the ending song. First of all, because it's a larger choreographed number, and I live for a lot of people dancing at the same time. And Let Us Entertain You is, like, kind of quick, and they're running from it. Like, it's supposed to be bad and sort of scary and, like, sort of, like, over the top and intimidating in a way. And I have to say on on the my adult watch here, I found the Somebody to Love scene, like, really cringy. Somebody to love. She's dancing. There's like the weird bit where one of, there, the, the, the giants are yelling things at her. That's how she ends up singing to begin with. And at one point, he's like, one of them's like, with more soul. Who the fuck yells that at anyone? while they're singing but it becomes like a bit for her to like take her hair down i found it i i just found it uncomfortable i don't know why it just it looks awkward it feels awkward because she's small and there's all the giants because she's so small and they're so big and and everything she's doing is like very weird like she's doing this like interpretive dance yes it's and very much like white woman has three glasses of wine. And decides she loves Queen. And then she like twirls into Char's arms and... And then they kiss in front of the giant fire. I'm gonna be free, Lord. Somebody, 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 somebody
thing that bothered me the most, though, about the movie is that it felt so empty. It felt like every decision was made in the context of, like, well, Shrek made a ton of money. <laughs> you think they were thinking actively about Shrek? There are so many scenes in this movie that are just, like, straight up from Shrek. The scene where she rescues Slannon and she does all the martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's Shrek. You're right. That is from Shrek. And I think it it is, like, to some extent, like, it was this, like, irreverent children's movie, except that they went too far into being, like, who is this film for? Like, yeah. Shrek is a film for kids that has a lot of jokes that only older people are going to get. This movie has, like, whole bits in it that I was like, I don't really think that kids... No kid is, was excited about Heidi Klum being in that movie. <laughs> it's true. But maybe it didn't matter for them. I don't think I cared who the hot giant lady was. I don't think I cared either, but I felt like it was, like, a weird flex. It's it's probably the same thing as when I watched Space Jam as a kid. They bring Bill Murray out, and as a child, I was always like, that's an old basketball player, because <laughs> I saw Space Jam when I was, like, five and didn't know who Bill Murray was. I do think that the songs in Ella Enchanted, watching the movie was the first time I heard those songs. I don't think I had heard Somebody to Love before I had seen Ella Enchanted. I think you're, I think same. And I, and what's the ending song again? Don't go breaking. Don't go breaking my heart. I definitely I didn't know Don't Go Breaking My Heart before Ellen Enchanted. I was like, this is the Ellen Enchanted song. Oh, speaking of music. Okay. The song <laughs> in the credits. Yeah. Did it sound familiar? I don't remember now what it was. Wasn't it? It wasn't it's an the original. True to your heart. You must be true to your heart. Yeah, it's a cover of the song that 98 Degrees and Stevie Wonder did for the credits of Mulan. No way. Way. At the end, when Mushu is with all the other gods and they're like, time to party because we won, and they play that song, that is a weird, like, girl pop cover of that song from Mulan. They're allowed to do that? I didn't know either, but I remember sitting there and I was like, guys, this is the song from Mulan. And the people I was watching it were like, oh, that's Reflection. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you don't understand. <laughs> Not that I had song. to like look it up and prove it, but yeah, it's a cover. Weird. What a what a weird choice. Like this is already a song that is famously the credit song for another kids movie. I'm doing yeah. a bad job because I'm not a good singer, but if you heard it, you'd be like, oh yeah, that song. Yeah, I'll I'll I gotta look into it. I feel like this is the first time on the podcast that I've really had sort of like the death of something that I thought fondly of. Not, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. That's not putting blame on you. I just think I, I'm going through my own reckoning a little bit of being like, I don't know. It's not like I was planning on showing my kids this, you know? Yeah. Maybe I don't think it's part of the canon of like great children's stuff. No, not, not in, not in the least. But I think I would after this point suggest Ellen Enchanted the book to a kid Me too. to read. There's some some stuff in it that isn't great, but I also think that at, at the end, it's just, like, really charming and it's sweet. It's really comforting. Yeah. I found it just, like, like charming is the best word for it, but also just, like, <laughs> it, it feels nostalgic, and I feel like if I ever had kids or, like, had friends with kids, I would probably give them this book because I thought it was great as a kid, and it was fun, and it was, like, a good world to inhabit for a while. Yeah. How did you feel about the CGI in this movie? Oh, trash. It's so bad. It's so bad. But, like, that was that was honestly the least of the movie's problems. No. So, watch the movie for the, the 2004 style, because it's great. Yeah. And I guess just, like, watch it with the sound off or something. <laughs> sound on only for the musical aspects. Did you recognize the stepmother? No. I don't know the actress's name. I didn't look it up. But did you ever watch James and the Giant Peach? Yes. She's one of the evil ants. Oh, my God. A friend actually, of mine caught that. That's amazing. I love James and the Giant Peach, the movie. Me, too. That movie's so good. It's such a strange movie that they made work. Do you know what I mean? It's, I mean, all Roald Dahl is, is pretty strange to an extent. But, you know, some of them didn't work. BFG certainly didn't. I didn't see it, but I heard it didn't work. Um, and... James and the Giant Peach has just some of the strangest plot mechanics and, and characters and sort of grotesque, a lot of grotesque stuff for a kid. 
I just wanted to double check that I wasn't making it up. It was produced by Tim Burton. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would love to do a rewatch of James and the Giant Peach. It's a little scary. Um, what I remember the most about that movie is how freaking delicious the peach looks. Oh, yeah. Every time they're eating it. Did you have any other thoughts on Ella Enchanted or on Cinderella? I'm just really glad Anne Hathaway did better things. Yeah, moved on. Later on. And as far as Cinderella goes, I think I'm ready to put that one to rest. <laughs> you think so? No more Cinderella adaptations? No, I think I'm just going to go back to rewatching Ever After whenever I'm really anxious, which I recommend. If <laughs> Talk about it a lot. I was on a f- other friend's podcast about rom-coms, and they also are, I'm also constantly talking about it there. Ever After specifically? Yeah. I wonder, yeah, I'm like, I wonder, it's kind of like Sherlock Holmes. There's only going to be so long before another Cinderella adaptation comes out. And I guess the the nice thing about Ella Enchanted versus like the standard story, because in the, the most of the standard 20th century and 21st century tellings, it's like, just be kind, Cinderella, be really nice, even though your family enslaved you, just be really nice. And I like that with Ella Enchanted at the end, the moral is like, you are so much more resilient and strong than you give yourself credit for. And when the right thing comes along, you'll be able to like come through it with like, with your own like well of inner strength. I think that's cool. Yeah. A better take for the moral of the story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Love was out to get me. That's the way it seemed. Disappointment haunted all my dreams. And then I saw her face. I'm a believer, not a trace of doubt in my mind. I'm in love. I'm a believer. I couldn't leave her if I tried. God bless us, everyone. Come on, y'all. Then I saw her face. Worst garbage, the online.